lecture twelve part three of the groundwork of the christian virtues by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture twelve the world without humility part three as the civil state is the centre of mind force and authority to whose dominion men look for law government justice and protection after men had deified themselves they were led to deify the state as something much more divine than the individual man and this deification was not unfrequently followed by religious worship on this part of our subject we may accept the able summary given by mr lecky speaking of the roman empire he says we find the city itself as the centre of civilization and seat of law is deified by its rulers and people and thus the laws themselves are accounted divine to pass over the great eastern cities of earlier civilization the athenians worshipped themselves in the divinity of their city the romans worshipped themselves under the name of rome the emperors as incorporating in themselves the social power were elevated into divinities and altars were raised to their worship the eastern nations subject to rome and their profound corruption were ever the first to exhibit this idolatrous worship to the city or ruler that held them in subjection this was nothing new to them we read that the statues of the kings of persia were adored in babylon domitian went so far as to deify himself calling himself lord and god in his public documents so that no one dared to address him otherwise again this writer says with great truth with the greeks the state was considered a divine institution and its welfare the supreme end of life to all and each of its members they belonged body and soul to the state justice consisted in what was profitable to the state and morality in doing the will of the state and in the worshipping of the gods of the state in the manner in which the state commanded the pride of the greek was to exalt himself in the community of freemen to leave labour to slaves and to look on the rest of the world as barbarians mr lecky justly observes that for some centuries before christianity patriotism was in most countries the presiding moral principle and religion occupied an entirely subordinate position but in what did that patriotism consist not in the care of the well-being of the people but chiefly in the pride taken in the power of the deified state and in a passionate love of extending the power of the state over other countries at whatever cost and sacrifice of blood and life perhaps says the same shrewd observer the greatest vice of the old form of patriotism was the narrowness of sympathy which it produced outside the circle of their own nation all men were regarded with contempt or indifference if not with actual hostility conquest was the one recognized form of national progress and the interests of nations were therefore regarded as directly opposed the intensity with which a man loved his country 
was a measure of the hatred which he bore to those who were without it these sound remarks on the broad and general facts of heathen life and government point to certain affections or rather defections that belong to all strongly developed pride humility is large free sympathetic with all life and good whether in heaven or on earth and partakes of all the good with which it sympathizes but as pride is the practical development of egotism or selfishness its necessary tendency is to isolate and contract the affections and to harden them towards all that it excludes but there is a corporate as well as a personal pride and this corporate pride has a strong tendency to intensify personal pride and to increase contempt for those from whom whether as individuals or corporate bodies the proud are isolated for a man augments his pride by reason of the family corporation or nation of which he is a member the heathens fed their pride on the multitude of slaves who served them and whom they looked upon as property on their superiority to the nations they conquered on their being the members of distinguished families on the rank and distinction of the corporate bodies of which they were members and on their belonging to some nation whose state was regarded as divine but all beyond that circle of humanity of which they formed a part they regarded with contempt this was their corporate pride but within those circles their personal pride had sway and often showed itself in one towards another of the same family rank or corporation in jealousy envy anger isolation hatred or contempt for pride is always seeking personal superiority distinction domination and consequently isolation st paul points to one of the grand results of the christian faith in the breaking down of the partition walls that separated the nations which as faith destroyed pride brought all men into one family and brotherhood for you are all the children of god by faith in christ jesus for as many of you as have been baptized in christ have put on christ there is neither jew nor greek there is neither bond nor free there is neither male nor female for you are all one in christ galatians chapter three verses twenty six through twenty eight we must not omit egypt out of our general survey of heathen pride for out of that extraordinary country came the greatest abominations even greece derived its mythology from egypt as well as its arts and civilization herodotus tells us that greece in early times offered sacrifices to the gods but had no names for them and had never heard of their names they simply called them gods but after a long lapse of time the names of the gods came to greece from egypt at that time there was but one oracle in greece which had been established by a dark-colored egyptian who had been stolen from egypt this oracle was consulted whether they should adopt the names that had been imported from the foreigners and the oracle replied by recommending their use 
such is the origin of that grecian mythology which has fascinated the world on egypt we may hear mr william palmer in his preface to his egyptian chronologies the end of the false religion he observes in opposition to the true being to glorify the enemy by leading men and nations more and more astray from god and enslaving them to evil lusts this end was not only aimed at in egypt through an outward ceremonial and a powerful priesthood with the worship of almost everything except the true object of worship but it was especially sought and attained by the deification and worship of the living ruler the monarch was the keystone of the whole fabric to him the deceiving serpent the dragon to whom the religions as such belonged delegated his own seat his own power and great authority that evil character of pride ambition selfishness and cruelty which the false religion naturally formed was enthroned and deified in him as the centre of human society the source of that law and order without which society itself could not exist nor consequently its highest forms of perversion be developed the monarch was not inappropriately compared to the sun and he was not merely so compared metaphorically but he was actually worshipped as the sun-god the kings of egypt from very early times took the title of Ra, or pharaoh which is the name of the sun-god with the article prefixed the egyptian king meets and embraces the gods more as a brother and an equal than with any humility as a worshipper he receives from them all that can gratify his pride and ambition they give to him never-ending life and the empire over all the world they give him victory over all his enemies and put their necks under his feet and he on the other hand massacres in their presence his vile enemies and as with the people below so with the gods themselves who might seem to be above the delegation of their honour to the king as their living representative or embodiment is so complete that at the very first sight of the walls and sculptures of any egyptian temple the beholder is struck by the impression that the king its builder is not only one of the gods of egypt and of that temple but that he has a far greater share in it than all the gods to whom it is ostensibly dedicated and then all the gods of egypt put together the same blasphemous titles and the same deification and worship with temples altars sacrifices libations and incense to their honour passed from the egyptian pharaohs to the ptolemies and at length to the roman emperors in the time of herod under whom christ was born at that same time the development of sin in the world jewish and gentile had reached its height not merely were the characteristics of the old egyptian kings their tyranny cruelty and pride too faithfully repeated and on a vaster scale by the roman people whether under a popular or imperial government but in the emperors the concentrated profligacy of the heathen world boasting itself in enormities unheard of before and almost inconceivable 
publicly enacted and even surrounded with the forms of legality was enthroned and deified and worshipped such on a general view was the world without humility it was not merely a world without god but a world antagonistic to god to his dominion to his light to his law leviathan the monster apostate is king over all the children of pride who through his numerous satellites ruled the fallen world of man he elated their souls inspired them with the mutual hatred that broke up the brotherhood of mankind hardened them into cruelty sensualized them into the worship of the creature rather than the creator suggested they should be as gods and took all the honour to himself but the prophet isaiah proclaimed the day when the lord with his hard and great and strong sword shall visit leviathan the barring serpent and leviathan the crooked serpent and shall slay the whale that is in the sea isaiah chapter twenty seven verse one then was the weakness of the king of pride made visible before the power of the humble king god hath overthrown the power of the proud princes and hath set up the meek in their stead god hath made the roots of proud nations to wither and hath planted the humble of those nations ecclesiasticus chapter ten verses seventeen and eighteen pride crucified humility and humility arose from the dead and put an end to the dominion of pride then was the power of leviathan destroyed for a thousand years and the cross was placed on the crowns of the rulers of the world light streamed everywhere from the cross and the powers of darkness fled with broken forces now from one nation now from another and christendom was ruled by the law of christ yet pride was still left in the world for the old adam continued to produce new children of elation and though the spirits of evil were so much weakened in the presence of christ and of his servants they were allowed to range the world for the trial of the humble the victory of the faithful and the punishment of the proud from the embers of pride blown up by evil wills heresies arose and dreadful scandals testing the souls of men bringing out their hidden qualities perfecting the humble revealing the proud the dreadful spectacle of the world without humility that is of the world without god must necessarily bring the mind to these two conclusions first these monstrous developments of pride completely show the intrinsic malignity as well as the blinding influence of this vice of vices even as it exists in its first germs and beginnings he who has within him the fermenting germs of a life-destroying plant has only to be left to his own ways for it to grow and to expand its virulence in the spiritual system blinding the intellect corrupting the will and producing every evil in the soul st john says whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer one john chapter three verse fifteen not that he has actually destroyed his brother but he fosters the disposition that leads to destruction 
and has already destroyed him in his love and our lord says that the devil was a manslayer from the beginning st john chapter eight verse forty four he destroyed the spiritual life of man by pride and falsehood and gave death to his immortal body and he who fosters in himself the germs of pride until they corrupt his mind and heart destroys his own soul the second conclusion forced upon us by the actual condition of the world is this the rejection of the humility of faith and of the gospel is rapidly bringing the world at large to the old heathen conditions of thought and conduct and to the old heathen confusion of substituting the powers of the world for the sovereignty of god this is manifested in many ways again the idolatries of the modern world are in various respects more gross than the idolatries of the ancient world for the ancient world idolized nature and however erroneously still associated that nature with some ideal of the divine and ascribed divine attributions to its departed heroes but the modern idolatries are given to the gross unidealized facts and products of nature and to human inventions without having associated any divine ideal with their powers the ancient world had a sense of religion however corruptly applied and even to the heroes whom they deified they ascribed certain divine attributions but modern heathenism has dismissed every sense of the divine and has given its devotion to the bare powers and phenomena of nature or to the worship of poor fallen humanity to the deification of accumulated wealth to the veneration of mechanical inventions to the cultivation of material luxury and to the super-exaltation of pride independence and self-reliance whatever a man seeks honours or exalts more than god that is the god of his idolatry there is no need of temples altars or statues for material mental or social idolatry whatever is preferred in mind and heart to god whatever is chosen as the chief end of man's pursuit in place of god constitutes the idolatry of these times to these we must add the idolatries of the mind which bring us back to plato's theory of the end of man in the worship of ideas this has led to pantheism on the one hand and to the shallow ignorance of blind agnosticism on the other the two extreme results of intellectual pride in the opposite extreme sensual pride with its idolatries of materialism has led to the revival of the spirit of democritus and of epicurus and even to the worship of human nature impiously proclaimed to have no end beyond the grave nor ought we to omit the worshippers of that science falsely so called which excludes god from his works and is therefore devoid of the first principle of science and is consequently as blind and foolish as when st paul rebuked it in the heathens when the light of god is wrenched from its true position as a gift of god implanted in the mind of man 
and the perversity of egotism has claimed that light the testimony of god to the soul as a subjective product of the man there is no theory however absurd of which from his false position the mind of man or rather his imagination will not be capable even to the deification of his own wide erring intellect this fall from the light of truth as it descends from god has led even to the greater folly of setting up material facts for intellectual principles and thinking them strong enough to encounter and break to pieces the eternal truths which god has imparted to reason or to faith truths most perfectly adapted to the requirements of the soul the destructive influence of failing heresies that have run their time and in their decay have revealed their utter want of foundation in divine authority have done much to destroy men's confidence in the christian religion begun in the negation of authority they have decayed by developing in the direction of negation which has eaten even into the principles of natural religion and by its indifference has left free play to the action of godless science and to the influence of those numerous idolatries that have taken hold of the unreligious world modern states have certainly not claimed divinity for themselves like the old heathen governments their tendency is to discard religion as a foundation and to remove its sanctions from beneath their constitutions and laws hence their instability and the ever-growing tendency to substitute temporary expediency for the fixed principles of wisdom and the unstable voice of the multitude for the maxims of experience and the long foresight of prudence there is everywhere visible an enormous jealousy of the authority of religion over the souls of men and like the heathens of old the ambition of states is to reign alone and to have no power above their own in the world in nothing is this shown more than in those secular systems of education held in the hands of the state in which all minds shall be trained by compulsion upon the mind of the state after the fashion of the spartans leaving the rights of god and of the family out of consideration and reducing all minds to one dead level of rationalism after this dreary and desolating survey of ancient and modern heathenism one requires some christian refreshment let us turn again to the ages of faith and conclude with a parable not without a moral that old gower poetized from an ancient chronicle there was a king both young and wise the solomon of his age who took delight in putting questions that were shrewd and deeply imagined but a certain knight of his court was quick and skilful in answering them so that the king was disconcerted at this rivalry of his shrewdness so he pondered long and carefully in preparing three questions the answers to which bore a profound signification he then put them to the knight and as the sphinx propounded her riddles so he required them to be answered in a given time on pain of death the first question was this what is that which least needs help but which men help the most 
the second was this what appears to be of the least worth although it is of the greatest worth the third was this what is that which costs the most although it is worth the least and goes ever to utter loss but the wit of the knight was of a worldly sort and after many castings about he could not penetrate to the truth hidden in these questions fearing for his life he wasted away in perplexity and grief then his daughter a virgin of innocent heart and with a mind that looked to god observed how her father pined away won his secret from him and resolved to answer the king's questions brought to the king's presence with eyes cast down and heart lifted up to god she said your first question o king is this what is that which least needs help but which men help the most what least needs help is the earth and yet men help it all day and every day and at all seasons of the year they dig and plough it they sow and plant and enrich the earth man and bird and beast come from the earth tree and herb and grass and flowers spring out of its bosom yet they all die and return to enrich the earth already so rich justly then may it be said that the earth has the least need of help although men help it the most the second question of your highness is this what appears to be of the least worth although it is of the greatest worth i say it is humility the which from pure love brought down the eternal son from the most high and most holy trinity unto mary chosen to receive him for her humbleness whoever is truly humble wars with no one he is peaceful in himself and would have all to enjoy the same peace much more might i say of its great worth and little cost but let this suffice the third question from the king's lips is this what is that which costs the most although it is worth the least and goes ever to utter loss i tell you that it is pride for pride could not live in heaven but in its fall brought down lucifer to hell it cost heaven to lucifer and paradise to adam pride is the cause of all our woes the whole world cannot staunch the wounds it inflicts nor wipe out its reproach pride is the head of all offence and the root of all sin wasting whatever it touches and putting nothing in the place of what it destroys pride is the sting of evil and the malignant element in all wickedness let it spring up where it will it is the most costly and worthless of all things then the king was glad because he had heard the truth from innocent lips and he laid aside his wrath end of lecture twelve part three